This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Monday, August 12, 2019. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. A little bit different kind of show today. I'm back from Iowa, where Pierre and I went to the state fair. And here's the key part. Stayed in a red roof inn. Let me tell you, if the Dollar General store decided, hey, we need to start a hotel, they'd start the Red Roof Inn. So the interview portion of today's show will be with a candidate I talked to extensively, Jay Inslee. The spiel will be about one of his positions, the filibuster. But first, I will bring you all with me to Iowa, where the fun is fried and the dedicated Iowans stood in line to place a kernel of corn in a jar thus indicating their candidate preference. So if were Iowa, not Russia, that turned communist in 1917, Churchill would have called the Hawkeye State a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, served on a stick. Everything's on a stick at the state fair and in the agricultural pavilion with the giant pumpkins and the award-winning grass. There was a line of about 100 people for an egg on a stick. It was a free egg. It was seasoned nicely, not fried, so perhaps it was the safest caloric source within a square mile. But while it was there in the Ag Pavilion, which is to really say the state fair of the state fair, with blue ribbons around me for pumpkins and beets and corn, I talked to Iowa State agronomist Rich Pope because I was wondering about something. See, I spent most of my time standing on cement or asphalt, and I said, see that grass up there on the wall, some of it winning a blue ribbon, the other a red? Could you take me through that decision on how a judge makes and breaks the dreams and reputations of an Iowa grass farmer? So what would make that batch of grass, and tell me if I'm using the wrong term, which is a blue ribbon winning batch, better than the second, third, or fourth? What are are we looking for? When the judge is looking at it, they'll look for uh, lesions that are on the stem or on the leaf. Uh, That would be one thing, just looking through the whole collection. How well dried it is, what its maturity is, so suitability for feed. Okay, so what we had there was Rich Pope describing, not specifically, but in generally describing a clearly articulated standard and also implying how those standards might play out in the minds of the informed individuals who are asked to render a judgment. Mm -hmm. So the analogy from that to politics and voting is just about nothing, really. Different voters could give a blue ribbon or a red ribbon or no ribbon or an impeachment notice to different kind of candidates for really whatever reasons they want. Glenda Weiss was willing to name her top four candidates. Elizabeth, Kamala, Amy. I'm kind of leaning toward a woman this time. Whereas a guy named Brady, in from Arizona, wearing a blue cap with white lettering that said, make racism wrong again, is also a certified judge in this contest. We call them voters. He seems to have an entirely different set of criteria than Glenda did. I would like a a Biden-Booker ticket. 
Now, we all know that voters aren't agronomists and politicians aren't grass, though they sometimes bend in the wind, you know what I'm saying? But what is going on here? If the purpose of an event like the Iowa State Fair is to inform voters and to cover the specific Iowa voters in attendance who are being informed, thus using them as a stand-in for the rest of us, we kind of ask at some point, does it work? Is there value in this exercise? Is there any usefulness to the Iowa State Fair and political spectacles like it beyond the fact that everyone gets to give a speech, and those speeches can be evaluated for style and substance by the curious. Coming out of my first Iowa State Fair, I would say this. There really isn't much of a point to the exercise beyond the obvious chance to give a speech and a speech that gets a little more coverage than the usual speech. The Iowa State Fair, the wingding the day before that, the chance to press the flesh, and at the State Fair, there is an ample dose of flesh. It's not really that telling or revealing or useful, nor should it be. The extra Iowa-ness of it all, Iowa as gauntlet, state fair goers as extra authentic divining rods of democracy, it's all hogwash. And I feel I have some standing to say that having just watched hogs actually get washed. I'm not saying don't have a fair. I mean, first of all, obviously have a fair. It's fun. It's rides. Slip not played. You can eat terrible food. But I'm not saying don't have a fair that emphasizes the political. I'm just saying, can we hold off on mythologizing its importance? It really just amounts to a tiny pebble, or maybe better yet, a kernel in the information jar of decision making. And this isn't because anyone is doing anything wrong. It's because the Iowa State Fair is but a snapshot whose composition is so deeply determined by facts having nothing to do with what the Iowa State Fair exemplifies, which is connecting to the common folk and standing on a soapbox and addressing the concerns of ordinary Iowans. Today, the New York Times wrote, quote, most presidential candidates use the 10-day Iowa State Fair to showcase their retail campaigning skills, which is, by the way, not just saying to use the skills, but to showcase the skills, which means to have the media observe these retail skills and comment on them and amplify them, thus turning those retail skills into wholesale narrative. It's largely all a fiction, but there were the speeches. On Saturday, California Senator Kamala Harris gave a speech. It went pretty well. At one point, she said this. Because obviously, dude got to go. That line struck me as new and interesting. The Iowa crowd wasn't as bowled over as I was because I have been covering the race. And when I heard that, I said, huh, I haven't heard that before from a presidential candidate. But I have been covering the race. So when Amy Klobuchar said a line that the audience really did get a kick out of, I was a little bit unimpressed. It was a line about her kickoff event in a snowstorm. And the line struck me as somewhat familiar just because she's talked about it so many times. Here she is on Good Morning America right after it happened. And what I said to him back was, I'd like to see, when he called me a snow woman, I'd like to see how his hair would fare in a blizzard. (laughs) (laughs) And then, this is what she said at the state fair. And he called me snow woman. I thought that was actually pretty good. So I tweeted back, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. As she launched into the anecdote, knowing where it was going, I made sure to turn and look at the audience, not the candidate on the stage. And let me tell you, people loved it. Older white Iowans, which is to say most Iowans, laughed and mouthed to each other. That's true. That's so true. After each candidate speaks, you mostly find that members of the crowd say, great job, and I just want someone who could beat Trump. 
But Lisa Fox, 63, of Minnesota, not Iowa, did say that Senator Harris did a fine job, but she is not sold. Uh, She's got issues with the prosecution record. She she wasn't completely 100% accurate with that. Her health care, she has some real issues with that, and she's not explaining it 100% correctly like she should. Uh, To me, she's still kind of at that bottom. I know everybody likes her. Uh, but they need to really take a good look at her and because I don't need another Trump that's going to come out here and lie to me and tell me all these things that he, she's going to do and then get into office. And if you're lying to me now, you're going to lie to me then. That was harsher than most reviews. The general rule is that the people who self-select to force their way into a crowd in the area where the speeches are given are there to like the candidates. I could have played half a dozen clips praising any of the candidates, from Tim Ryan to Tom Steyer, who is actually doing better in the cast your vote with a colonel poll than Julian Castro or Beto O'Rourke or Kirsten Gillibrand. The importance of Iowa is exactly the amount of voters who get exposed to a bit of information divided by all the other information they've been exposed to. It's precisely the calculation of really any marketing campaign, message exposure. The state fair gets covered because it's important. And the state fair is important because it's covered. There's no special Iowa State Fair multiplier. If you do well there, it matters more than doing anywhere else, except for the fact that maybe more people are watching. You hear a lot of stories about how well a candidate might have done with voters at the state fair, but the voters that these reports are referring to are those very voters, like I say, who self-select, who crowd around the soapbox stage to seek out the Democratic message. But there are tens of thousands of voters, many tens of thousands of voters each day who will never hear word one from a candidate. There are thousands of people who spend all their day in the swine shed or over in the fun forest or in the varied industries building, which is a smart move. It is good air conditioning. They're not necessarily going to caucus in Iowa, but they might. And they're not going to necessarily vote in the general election, but they probably will. As a press gaggle trailed Kirsten Gillibrand, There was a guy who was online to buy, I think it was the Ultimate Baking Crisp ice cream. And he turned to me and he asked me, who is that? And I told him, oh, Senator Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. And he said, I have no idea who that is. But then he told me that's okay because he's not interested in most of these Democratic candidates. They're always trying to give everything away, take it from the people that earn it shit like that. And they don't realize the country got the way it is because of capitalism and people like I've never worked for a poor man yet. That guy, Mike Wilshire of Council Bluffs, told me where he was leaning. On the social side, when you got the four and all that stuff, I ain't into all that. Yeah, the squad, you mean? Yeah, the yeah, squad. Yeah. And some yeah. of the presidential candidates like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, you don't like that? No way. No so it way. would need to be a moderate Democrat if yeah, there's such a thing. Yeah. And do you think Biden's such a thing? Well, he's a little more uh, moderate than the other guys. But if it was between him and Trump, who would you vote for? Oh... Uh, Probably have to go with Trump. Wilshire did say that if Trump acted crazy during the campaign and Biden didn't, that he'd vote for Biden. But then we both decided, well, of course, Trump's going to act crazy. So I really don't know how to score his assessment, except that it should be scored, should be taken into account. He, who is in no way involved in the political process consciously, is as much a voter as all these people with their top six choices. And unlike award-winning Sweet Clover, there is no empirically right answer as to who to vote for. Scanning candidates for imperfections or punishing for lack of vitality gives lots of good answers regarding grass, 
but fewer when it comes to the candidates. And also, unlike the grass, corn, pumpkins, and swine, the ribbons they give out to candidates in Iowa are pretty much worthless. On the show today, a talk about filibusters in the spiel. But first, here is the governor of Washington State, a leader on the environment, Governor Jay Inslee. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Governor Jay Inslee, thanks for doing this. Let's talk climate off the bat. In, uh, it was 2016, I think, a referendum in Washington did not pass, did not pass by a pretty wide margin. What has changed since then? Well, we've had success since then. The carbon tax did not pass, but it, we were not deterred and at all, and we were undaunted. We turned around the next morning. I introduced five bills that would uh, defeat the carbon dioxide pollution crisis. We passed four of them now, and so we will achieve about 80% of what that other initiative would have. So we've got uh, one more piece of the puzzle to fill in. There's a Supreme Court decision I'm awaiting. If, uh, if the Supreme Court does the right thing, we will be able to fill in that puzzle to get that accomplishment. So we've really moved the needle in Washington state. We did it while winning 10 seats in our state legislature. I believe that climate change is a winning issue across the United States, both because people are now experiencing it firsthand. They're seeing the fires, they're feeling the floods, seeing the diseases, but they're also seeing the job creation that is taking place, including here in Iowa in the wind industry and the solar industry. Uh, We're building electric cars, UAW union members in Michigan. So this is a very rapidly moving dynamic. The country wants action. We're a scientifically literate country. We're an ambitious country. We're an innovative country. We just need a spark of inspiration from the White House. In 2012, this is why I asked about 2016. This is a stark ballot measure, a yes or no, and it didn't just fail slightly. It was a 40 to 60 vote. Four years earlier, your state passes, legalizes gay marriage, legalizes marijuana. Essentially, it's not a backward state. It's not a conservative state. It's probably more progressive and forward-looking than a country as a whole. Has the opinions of Americans changed so much since that 40 to 60 vote or the ability of the persuaders to change? Why are you so confident that America right now is so different from where Washington state was just three years ago? Look, you sound like a defeatist. We are not no, defeatists in Washington optimist. State. Look at, apparently you didn't get the message I just told you. We passed four of the most aggressive, robust, uh, effective climate change measures in American history. We passed a 100% clean energy bill with a good majority. We picked up 10 seats in part because of the climate change message. We passed the best building code energy efficiency measure which will create thousands of jobs in the, in the building trades of carpenters and laborers. We passed uh, one of, if not the best, uh, uh, provisions to help people get access to electric cars. We passed a great measure to have uh, uh, an effort to uh, advance research and development on clean energy. And today we have $70 billion of infrastructure 
70% of which is in clean transportation infrastructure. So we're growing jobs by the tens of thousands. We've made enormous progress in my state. And what, what happened was, look, people didn't accept one tool, but there's, you know, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of tools in my toolbox. And maybe one screwdriver didn't work, you go to the next size, and that's what we used, and we're moving it. And what is also happening is that people are seeing more and more of these disasters. And so it is not my eloquent speeches or the book I wrote or anybody else's eloquent speeches. It's the fact that our people are seeing Paradise, California burn to the ground, a town of 25,000. We're seeing floods right here in Iowa, which dispossessed so many people and destroyed billions of dollars of agriculture. So people in Miami literally having to move away from the shoreline and dispossess other people. So this is a rapidly changing dynamic, and Americans want action, and I intend to give it to them. As a supporter of the Green New Deal, do you think the provisions that include provisions about unions, wages, the economic parts of it, that might correctly be seen as part of the whole picture correctly, and yet at the same time, there is an argument that by including those, it makes the passage of the overall legislation that much more difficult. You know the argument, right? A climate bill is not an easy thing to pass. A climate bill plus a jobs bill becomes a little bit harder. Climate bill plus a jobs bill plus union bill becomes harder still. So what do you think of that? I think my, my plan is the best one of any of the candidates. And one of the reasons is it, it embodies environmental justice. And that includes making sure everyone does well in this transition. And that we use the climate change effort at the same time to bring more justice to the country. And I believe we can do that. Number one, by uh, finally giving people a working right to form a union. And that has been essentially debased for the last several decades. And as a result, we haven't got a raise for 50% of Americans. So I have, I believe, the strongest provisions to help people form organized bargaining units. We've got to rebuild the union movement in the United States because half of America haven't had, haven't had a real raise in 25 years. That's number one. Number two, we have to embrace what I call environmental justice because we know the first victims of climate change have been frequently communities of poverty, communities of color, indigenous communities. It's the people living in poverty who are living next to the super fun sites and the toxic waste discharge zones and the freeways. Uh, you know, I kind of got tuned into this years ago. I met a young Latina, she's about 14 years old, and she told me that she was 11 before she found out some kids didn't have asthma because everybody she knew had asthma because they're living right next to the freeway. And that pollution, in addition, look, pollution kills even before the climate changes. That pollution is killing us. It's giving us asthma, emphysema, COPD, uh, cardiovascular problems, cancer. Uh, it kills 15,000 more people a year than all the car crashes in America. So this is a health issue, and we need to bring environmental justice to this. In New York State, they passed a very progressive climate bill, but there were these economic issues, and those dragged down the bill, and they had to be eliminated from the bill. The thought was, and I think correctly, bill wouldn't have passed if you also included that everyone who was going to get the grid to energy-free was going to get paid a union wage. Do we take that lesson and say that, oh, that doesn't matter because our aspirations are we need um, all the economic provisions that go with an environmental bill? Well... I don't know about New York, but we were successful in embedding in our 100% clean bill multiple provisions to make sure that people had good good wages. Everything you wanted? Your uh, wish list yes, going in? Yes, essentially, yes, because it gave basically extra points, if you will, if you pay a prevailing wage, if you honor people's organizing rights, 
if you don't abuse them and safety and health issues. If you're a good uh, employer, you get extra points in the bidding for infrastructure projects and the like. So I think those are really strong incentives to make sure we good family wage jobs. I've been even stronger in my plan that I've rolled out for the nation. And I believe if we do this, we're going to get both cleaner air and better wages. I think that's a pretty good twofer. When some of your opponents on debate stages denigrate Amazon, why don't you stick up for them? Well, I stick up for people who work at Amazon. They're doing some wonderful thing, giving people access to products. But the company uh, itself, been, you have... If you let me finish my answer, yeah. uh, what I'll tell you is we have where Amazon needed some uh, responsible jurisdiction, we've done it. Uh, when we had a, um, a need for better scholarship for our students, we taxed Amazon and some of the other high-tech companies and financial service companies. When we needed better privacy, I'm working on a privacy bill that will ensure our privacy. And that will include privacy regarding Amazon and every tech company. I'm not singling out Amazon. When we want uh, uh, worker rights, we make sure that people who work at Amazon have working rights in that regard. And that includes organizational rights. Look, my bill to help organizational rights will help people at Amazon form a union. And frankly, I'm supportive of that. So I'm supportive of those efforts uh, uh, big time. So I think I'm being responsible uh, uh, both as a pre uh, presidential candidate and as a governor of Washington State. Is Amazon taxed highly enough? No. That's why we've increased their taxes recently. I'm the guy who's increased their taxes. Look, you get all these guys running around. I haven't seen senators increase their taxes. I've increased their taxes. So this is very common that I've actually done things. Look, I'm the guy who's actually got a minimum wage, best paid family leave, best teacher pay increase, best gender pay equity, first net neutrality. Uh, our state has, has shown a template of success. Now, this hasn't happened just because of me. We've, we've got a great legislature. I've finally freed from a Republican Senate. But here's an important point. What I'm offering people is real progress because we are not going to have real progress if the vice president gets his way and we keep the filibuster because we will not be able to pass anything on privacy or clean energy or health care or anything else. I think these senators, and almost all of them except Elizabeth Warren, still want to keep the filibuster. We will not be able to do nationally what I have done in Washington State until we do that. So I'm the full meal deal. I want real action. That means that not only defeating Donald Trump, but we've got to take away the filibuster from Mitch McConnell. And then what happens in four or eight years when Republicans take control of the, ha of the Senate again? Uh, we, make sure, we make sure that doesn't happen. So look, that's we're the, the party. Look, we're the party of progressive change. We're the party that wants better health care, a solution to the climate change crisis, better organizational rights, better paid family leave, higher minimum wage. All of those things are in jeopardy because these senators want to embrace the filibuster. They are just dead wrong. Now, yes, there's on occasion in the last 200 years, filibusters come in handy for us too. But we cannot stop all progress in the United States because of our fears. We've got to ride our hopes, our dreams, and our insistence that we build more justice so that justice flows like a water and and uh, righteousness like a mighty river, as Dr. Martin Luther King said. <laughs> the fact that all the senators except Warren, including Bernie Sanders, uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, people who are not known as unprogressive, saying this would be a danger, that does not give you pause? Hell no, they're just flat wrong. Look, let me tell you what Bernie and Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris' position means. Now, let's just, this is just reality. So yeah. Let's just talk about reality for the moment. It means... 
no way to save us from the emerging climate crisis upon which our survival depends. Now that is simply a fact. I disagree with the vice president. He thinks Mitch McConnell is gonna become a reasonable guy who will tell the fossil fuel industries whose water he's carried for 40 years to all of a sudden do something upon fossil fuels. That is not gonna happen, it's an hallucination. He thinks that all of a sudden we're gonna get an assault weapon ban out of Mitch McConnell. That's not gonna happen. Uh, he thinks we're gonna have big you know, healthcare plans. Now maybe you can do some of that through reconciliation, but not all of it. If we're gonna have new collective bargaining rights for unions, do you think the Republican Party is gonna help us pass new collective bargaining rights for unions? No, all of those things are dead on arrival in the US Senate until we have people who will stand up to get rid of the filibuster. And our fear that someday, somehow, we'd wanna use it cannot stop us from saving ourselves from this climate crisis, saving ourselves from anti-union action, saving ourselves from the NRA. I'm a forward-looking guy, and that's the kind of president I would be. If you're elected president in, and at the same time Republicans retain control of the Senate, would you push to do away with the filibuster then? I have been against the filibuster since at least 2009 because it is undemocratic. Democrats need to believe in democracy. That's why we need better voting rights laws like I've done in Washington State. It's why we need to get rid of gerrymandering. It's why we need to get rid of the Electoral College. All of these things are intrusive in democracy. The filibuster is also, because we ought to have one person have one vote. Each senator should get one vote and let people vote. That's where I come from. I'm pro-democracy. Washington State does not have a state income tax. Should they? Uh, I've not been supportive of an income tax, but we do want to move to a fairer tax system in our state. We took steps forward this year by taxing the big tech companies and banks to pay for the best scholarship program in the United States for our college students. We took a step forward by having an increased tax on the sale of you know, multi-million dollar homes and a decreased one for working people's homes. We have now pushed, I'm pushing for a capital gains tax, which we really do not have. We need that. We're close to getting that done in the state of Washington to bring increased fairness to our tax system. And we need to get rid of Donald Trump's unfair tax system and have a more progressive tax system in the United States and our federal system through a variety of measures. And I'm open to multiple measures on how to do that. Does not having a state income tax make the state regressive in taxation? Well, a lot of things uh, make it regressive and we're trying to repair that regressivity. And we've had some progress in the last couple months. We'll have more when I pick up a couple more seats in the legislature. Last question. As president, would you do away with the minting of pennies? You know, I always think uh, you ought to leave one job undone for the next day, including a firm position on pennies. So uh, I will make this statement. Uh, I have not taken a position on whether we should mint pennies, but if we do, we're going to keep Abraham Lincoln's uh, a picture on it, uh, who is a great Republican, and I wish we had some of that in the party. We need a little bit of Lincoln in uh -huh. the Republican Party and a lot less Donald Trump. And I am shamed, and, and those Republicans who are now following Donald Trump instead of Abraham Lincoln on bringing racial justice to this country, I don't know how they look themselves in the mirror. Let's go beat Donald Trump. All Thank right, you. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. And now the spiel. So you heard there that Governor Inslee wants to end the filibuster. The supermajority needed to pass most legislation, though not all, through the Senate. The thing about Governor Inslee advocating that he would end the filibuster as president is this. 
Neither a governor nor the president have anything to do with the Senate filibuster. I mean, the Senate filibuster will certainly frustrate any president, but it's not his call. Interestingly, 7% of the Senate is currently running for president, and they do have a say, and all of them, except Elizabeth Warren, want to keep the filibuster. So let's hear from a few senators on the filibuster. First, I asked Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Senator, do you feel the filibuster in the Senate retards progress overall? She pauses for a moment to either consider her answer or decide how to phrase her answer, or maybe just puzzle over the use of the phrase retard progress. Then she answered. Right now, uh, it does because of Mitch McConnell. Um, If we were to eliminate the filibuster, though, under Mitch McConnell, I don't think we would be able to protect women's reproductive freedom or LGBTQ equality or clean air and clean water standards. I think there'd be a lot of things that we take for granted that would actually be unwound with a 51 vote threshold under Leader McConnell. So I have concerns, but I fully understand There are big issues out there that we might want to be able to actually move forward on. Uh, So I will look at it if I'm president. Looking at it, especially with McConnell in charge of the Senate. But what if McConnell isn't in charge of the Senate? What if he is in charge of the Senate, but she's president and she has a veto? Mm, I'm not sure the upshot of looking at it spells that upon looking at it, elimination will be the answer. Next up, Senator Cory Booker. All right. I am hot and sweaty, but I'm happy to answer questions in this context. Yes. Go ahead. Senator Booker was more direct than Gillibrand. Yeah. My concerns lie in the fact that when Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump at the filibuster did not exist as a guy who lives in a deeply vulnerable community, black and brown inner city community below the poverty line, the only person that lives in the Senate that lives in the community, they could have done things that would have been life or death in my community. We didn't have the ability for minorities to stand up in the Senate and stop some of the dastardly things that they would have done, like stripping away health care from the people in my community and all across this country, like eroding the rights of women to control and make their own decisions about their own body. So I'm not taking it off the table, ending the filibuster. I'm simply saying that please remember that the tides go back and forth often in our politics and that if we do that, that communities like mine could face the kind of crises that would literally be truly bleak and disastrous days. And that perhaps maybe before we think about the filibuster taking away, we'd start thinking about winning elections and building a party that can win elections all across this country. Texas is a blue state if you look at the the demographics and the people that live there, Georgia as well. We could actually get into the hard work that our party hasn't done and build the kind of party that can win elections all over the place. That's the kind of work I'm gonna do if I become the leader of the Democratic Party Uh, And when I'm president, obviously, I'm leaving all options on the table. And finally, the one senator out of the seven running who wants to end the filibuster, Elizabeth Warren. So here's my promise. When I'm in the White House, I will fight. I will stand up. I will lead the charge on the changes we need to make. And I will fight to roll back the filibuster. You know, keep in mind back in 2013, we voted on assault weapons ban and on background checks. And you may remember the vote was 54 to 46, 54 in favor, which meant it failed in the United States Senate. Why? Because of the filibuster. The filibuster is there to help the likes of the NRA and the gun industry. I'm ready to get rid of the filibuster and exercise some real power. 
Well, that 54 to 46 vote she quoted was for background checks. The assault weapons ban, that part of the legislation actually failed straight up 40 to 60. You know, you could pick a lot of votes that by numbers alone would have passed but for the filibuster. Of course, the presence of the filibuster does give some senators cover. So maybe without a filibuster, some of the 54 wouldn't have voted for the ban. Who knows? The other thing that it does do, as Senator Gillibrand noted, is it does protect progressive policies that are already in place. It is telling to me that the filibuster is one of the few areas where Elizabeth Warren breaks with Bernie Sanders. Sanders is no fan of sclerotic bureaucracy or insufficiently bold half measures, but even he sees some value in installing some brakes on a runaway train. And he's been in the legislative branch long enough to know that when it comes to partisan politics, the track runs both ways. And that's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader. Pierre would like to say that not all was bad with the Red Roof Inn. The pillows were great. But the sausage and gravy, Pierre. Oh, the gravy. The gist. We are currently the most inefficient alternative to Yelp in the Des Moines area. Oomperu, Deperu, Duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>